The passage that Carrie was referencing in her children's moment was from Acts chapter 2, where the disciples were huddled in a room together and the Holy Spirit first rested upon their heads. We're going to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul talks about the Holy Spirit and its role in the church. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 13. I invite you to hear these words from the New Testament. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. And to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another the working of miracles. To another prophecy. To another the discernment of spirits to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are activated by one and the same Spirit who allots to each one individually just as the Spirit chooses. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all made to drink of the one spirit. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. It is the birthday of the church, as you have heard this morning. And we are celebrating, in a way, the gift of the Holy Spirit. But please don't believe that the Holy Spirit arrived in the book of Acts or at the end of the Gospel of John and it had not been active before in the world. We know that's not correct. In a way, the, the Spirit rests over the disciples maybe for the first time officially and that energizes the church into being. But the Holy Spirit is active in the, Holy, in the Old Testament as well. When God moves over creation and his breath blows over the formless void, that is the Holy Spirit that we read. When, when prophets are called to speak for God, we believe the Holy Spirit worked within them and was able to help them speak. So the Holy Spirit is active throughout the whole of Scripture. But it plays such an important role in the birthday of the church that we set aside this time on Pentecost Sunday to celebrate what happened all the way back then. But the Holy Spirit is active, as Carrie mentioned, in our lives even today. The Holy Spirit works to sort of open us up towards God, to till the ground, so to speak, so that the seeds that are planted will have a fertile place to grow. And the Holy Spirit works to sort of help us hear from God and to be more in tuned with God so that when God speaks, when God's grace is poured out upon us, we can be ready to respond. Many of you may remember the name C.S. Lewis. He was a famous Christian, but he also is a famous author who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia series. You may remember The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
He was a professor as well. And there was an atheist young man who reached out to C.S. Lewis because he was an atheist and he became friends with Christians who were beginning to witness to him and to help him understand that God loved him. And he was a little concerned about this. He really didn't want to change. He wanted to stay an atheist. But all of a sudden, he started to feel that he was softening up to these Christians and, the, and their witness. He was starting to really think about things and wonder if God was real. And so he wrote a letter to C.S. Lewis saying, I'm afraid that I am being put through all of this and I might change. And C.S. Lewis's response was famous. He said, I am afraid, young man, that you are already caught within the net. The Holy Spirit is after you and I'm afraid you won't get away. Even C.S. Lewis knew that some of the early signs that the Holy Spirit is working in your life is that you're starting to struggle. You're starting to think more deeply about God's role in your life, God's questions and God's commands for you. And you're starting to struggle with them and to take them seriously. And the Holy Spirit, in a way, helps convict us, helps coach us, helps direct our thoughts in our minds towards God so that God can make them new. Because God makes everything new, right? God is in the business of renewing our lives to help us become born again, to be born by the Spirit, to have a life that is more in tune with God. This is something that John Wesley struggled with as well, the person who helped launch the Methodist movement. In fact, 285 years and four days ago is a really important event in John Wesley's life. It's called Aldersgate Day. You, you have to understand how he got to Aldersgate, which is a place where he went to a Bible study. Years before, years before, John Wesley came to America. He came to Savannah, St. Simon's Island, as a missionary. And he wasn't very good as a missionary. <laughs> He tried to preach to the Native Americans. He tried to preach to the colonists. And he wasn't that effective. In, in fact, some people felt like John Wesley was meddling in their lives. At one point, and this is a true story. The confirmation class loves to hear this story, by the way. He was infatuated with a woman named Sophia, John Wesley. And he tried to court her, but then he decided not to follow through with it. Well, later on, Sophia married another gentleman, and there, was, there were some rumors going around about John Wesley, and there were also some hurt feelings from John Wesley, so he barred her for communion because of what was going on. Very mature move. And John Wesley ended up being arrested and had to go through court about all of this. And just before he was going to possibly face the consequences of all this, he snuck away, got to Charlestown, South Carolina, got on a boat, went back to England. <laughs> he was lost. He was an Anglican priest. He believed in the scripture. He believed in the work of God, but he was still not grounded. He was not assured of his salvation yet. And yet he wanted it. He, he was so actively pursuing God that he and his brother Charles, who wrote many of hymns, were a part of this holy club where they served. They would go to orphanages. They would go to hospitals. They would go to prisons. They were busy ministering, do the things of God. And yet John Wesley continued to feel 
this sort of void within him. His brother Charles had an event in his life where he felt that God saved him, that the Holy Spirit was truly active in his life. And John Wesley was proud of his brother, but at the same time, you have to wonder, was he a little bit jealous because his brother, younger brother, experienced the one thing that he's been searching for for over a decade? So John Wesley, 285 and four days ago, years and four days ago, went to a Bible study on the book of Romans on Aldersgate Street. He went to a place where the Moravians, people he met on the journeys uh, across the Atlantic uh, to the United States, he met them and was impressed by their deep faith. And so he went to one of their Bible studies. It was actually a reading of Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. Very, very, very interesting Bible study to go to, very topical. And John Wesley admits in his journal that he went unwillingly to this Bible study at Aldersgate Street. And while he was there, this is what he says happened in his journal. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. So you see, this is what happens when you go to Bible study, even you, though you don't feel like it, okay? When you go to worship, when you don't feel like it, you never know when God might intersect with your life. And that's what happened to John Wesley. He had this event, this sort of rebirth in his life that he was assured that Jesus', Jesus death for him saved him from sin and death, even him. He felt lucky to be included, blessed to be included, instead of being entitled to be included. Like, like Jesus, of course Jesus died for me, I'm important. No, John Wesley said, even me, even me. He was blessed to be included in this. The Holy Spirit, in a way, was working in John Wesley's life, preparing him for this very moment where he and the Holy Spirit intersected and God's saving grace began something brand new in John Wesley because from this moment on, he still struggled with doubt. He still struggled with faith, but he continued to move forward, empowered to help start this renewal movement that led to Methodism. In our scripture for today, Paul is talking to a church in Corinth. And you're familiar, I'm sure, with 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, especially that fa favorite chapter that comes next, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, all about love. But what you may not remember is what was happening in the church during this season. In 1 Corinthians, we find out that the church in Corinth is divided. There are some people who follow Paul and his teachings. There are some people who follow Peter and his teachings. And there are other people who follow another apostle and his teachings. And they're all just divided. Nobody's listening to the one pastor in charge. Everybody's talking about what the other pastor says. And they're all divided and they're mixed up. And what Paul says is, I don't care if you follow Peter or me, follow Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that unifies us all. Later on, 
uh, you may remember we talked about this uh, last spring. There is a passage where in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking about the people in Corinth getting to communion early, especially the ones that had lots of money and they didn't have to work as many hours. They would get to communion early. This was more of a meal than just bread and grape juice and they would eat everything up. And the people that were more poor and had their jobs to attend to would come and there would be nothing but scraps left. And he would say, this is dividing you as well. You've got to understand this meal is for everyone. We are all one in Jesus. We are all one in the Holy Spirit. Paul is leading this church to understand that they should be grounded together in Jesus Christ and they should be grounded together in the Holy Spirit. They should be bonded together and no person in the church is more important than anybody else. And so we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and we hear that the Holy Spirit is given to everyone in the church. Every single person who has faith in Christ is given the Holy Spirit and they are given strengths and skills to use. And it's not some sort of a, of a sort of a, 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 in a way, test of who's more important, who has the better gift, who has the least important gift. No, Paul goes through these gifts in terms of communicating wisdom, communicating knowledge, interpreting tongues, speaking in tongues. All of these things are equal gifts. They have an important purpose. But each and every person is unique within the church. If I were to try to do things in this church that other people are gifted in, but I'm not, for instance, the finance committee, if they put me in charge of the finance committee, we would fall apart very quickly here. That's not my gift. I stay away from all of that. I let people who know what they're doing do that. But some people who are really good in finance not, might be frozen in fear standing up here and teaching. You see, there are different gifts. Each are important. You can be a pastor and preach to a lot of people, but if you don't empower them to be using their gifts in their lives, all you're doing is speaking. And that is not what a sermon is about. A sermon is about preaching and helping people connect with God and then grow in faith so that they can go out the doors and be servants in the world using unique gifts and strengths. We, each of us, are given unique gifts and strengths, and we are to understand that this is to bond us together as one church, bond us together as one family of Christ. In fact, if you were to continue reading in 1 Corinthians 12, you heard a little bit about that this morning, that Paul says that we as the church are the body of Christ. There is one body with many members. If we continue in verse, in chapter uh, 12, verse 14 and following, you'll notice he talks about arms and legs needing to work together. When we look at one and say, you're not necessary, we are in, a, in fact harming God and harming the Holy Spirit. If we look at a group and say, your opinion doesn't matter, we are harming the Holy Spirit because we're trying to hold the body of Christ together. Because without the gifts of some people, the church suffers. The witness of the church suffers. Holding the body of Christ together is of the utmost importance. We cannot hold everybody together, but we want to hold as many people together as possible so that the church is healthy. Because without gifts, the church suffers. 
Now, how do we know this? Why do we know this is so important? Because Paul says that each of the gifts that are given are for the common good. In chapter 12, he says the gifts that are given are for the common good. A gift that is given by God through the Holy Spirit is not for that person to shine. They are given skills or talents or gifts so that they can sharpen one another, so that they can help one another and encourage one another to help them grow in life and in faith. This is consistent with one of the Proverbs you may be familiar with. Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. When we think about the common good in the church, we think about these gifts. The person on finance committee helps us be mindful and, and respectful and responsible with our monies so that there is enough to go around for all the important ministries in the church. That is their gift to the church. Someone with a gift of evangelism or teaching, their gift is to go and share the love of God with others and tell the story of Jesus so that maybe more people will come in and the people with the gifts of teaching and encouragement will help them continue to grow in their faith. Do you see how this is all knit together? These gifts rely on one another, almost like the body of Christ is this well-oiled machine where each of these gifts that are given by God help to make the church effective. And when we lose pieces of it, it becomes less effective. And the Holy Spirit then goes to work trying to bring new people in with new and helpful gifts that make us whole and healthy again. It's not something that we can do on our own because Paul has made it pretty clear. The Spirit is the one that gives the gifts. The Spirit is the one that encourages the gifts to grow. And the role of the church is to continue to, in a way, uh, help people understand their gifts, help them understand how they can be used, and to let them go and try to use their gifts. And let me guarantee you one thing. People will fail along the way. But then they'll grow. People will fail and then they'll grow. I remember being a college student in South Carolina working in a church where the senior minister invited me to preach one Sunday. He didn't tell me how to write a sermon. He didn't help me write a sermon. He just said, go up there, Holly, and do it. So I did. I worked for about two weeks on it. And let me tell you that about half of my sermon was that email forward that you've probably seen about the footsteps in the sand on the beach where there was, there was uh, two sets of footprints and all of a sudden there was one and the person thought they were alone and that God had left them, but no, that was when God carried them. Okay, that wasn't a great sermon. Let me just tell you that right now. People were like, thanks for telling us something we receive in our email inbox every other month. But I, f I failed. Now, part of the sermon was probably good, I'm sure. But I tried. And I got better. You know, when we send people out like students to speak at Discovery Weekend and we work with them on their, on their lessons, some of them are really going to shine. Some of them are going to fail in a good way. And we're going to help them grow and learn from that experience. But if they don't try, they're never going to thrive. I think that's one of the things that scares people about serving in the church is that we feel like 
we've got to have this gift ready, made, delivered, and we're already excellent in it. But that's not how God works, is it? When we receive a gift, it has to be nurtured and encouraged. It's got to to bloom and grow over time. There are seasons of drought. There are seasons of heavy rains in these gifts and their development. Sometimes they will thrive. Sometimes they'll be challenged. But as long as we're continuing to sharpen one another, like Proverbs 27 says, we're getting better at using these gifts over time. We are a church. And our responsibility is to encourage people and to let them grow and to help them get better because the future of the church depends on it. At one of the early churches that I I served, there was a person who had been on uh, the finance committee for about 20 years. And that person would never let anybody else take over the reins of the church until he had surgery and was out of commission for three months. Nobody knew what to do. And it was at that moment where the church realized somebody might be really great at something and have all the gifts, but if we're not training someone else, we're going to be in a world of hurt. The work of the church is to continue to sharpen one another where someone has a lack of faith, like the young man who wrote to C.S. Lewis. Thankfully, he connected to someone with a depth of faith who was a teacher who could help sharpen this young man and let him know God was on his tail. And it was better for him to lean in instead of trying to run. For those whom have fears or hurts, we have people in the church who have skills and gifts for caring for other people, for helping other people. You know, sometimes we think that our gifts are too small and insignificant. That all we can do is fill a a paper bag with food or maybe all we can do is to stand there and shake hands as people enter but you have no idea what impact your gift makes think about what amy said in asbury now about how people just delivering a bunch of diapers to our church made a difference to a lady who's a single mother think about how when you stand and greet someone outside of our sanctuary, it may be the first time that that person has been treated like a human being in weeks. Even the small things are huge in the church. There are no gifts that are bigger and better than others. And I think that's what Paul wanted the people back then to know. We're given the Holy Spirit, not so that we are set apart to be special, so that we are set apart to serve. We're given the Holy Spirit and each of us is going to get different gifts and we may not know what it is until we can see it more clearly. And once we get it, we're called to embrace it and use it, maybe fail and learn and grow from it. But we're all encouraged to do so. Now, some of you may be saying, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Well, luckily, we have a website. And if you go to our website, asburybeham.org, you will see at the top, a list, a menu list. And if you click on serve, there'll be a drop down menu and you'll have several options. Two of them are serve others and serve at Asbury. Now serving others has to do with missions. You can go and see all the different missions that we are a part of, including the mission of this month and the mission of next month. We have one for every month. However, if you click on serve at Asbury, 
Remember, Paul says, spiritual gifts are for the common good. Serving at Asbury is part of building up the common good. If you click at serve uh, at Asbury, you will see on that website a spiritual gifts assessment you can take. Now, you have to be honest or it won't work. You have to be truthful about yourself. And you might be able to find what your gift is. Now, some of you are going to take that today and you're going to find a gift that makes a lot of sense. But some of you are going to get the gift of speaking in tongues and you're going to say, oh, no, I can't be Methodist anymore. We've got a way to interpret that. It's not about the way that some people speak in tongues. Use that. Think about it. Allow God to work through that assessment and see what happens. The Holy Spirit may show something to you that you've been missing all this time. And maybe if you're confused, you can make an appointment with one of the pastors or with Robin White, our director of adult ministry, and we can help you think through what this means. Because you've been called. You've been gifted. And there's something that you are already doing that is instrumental in the church. And there may be something you're not yet doing that is instrumental in the church. And we're just waiting for you to say, I've got a gift. Thanks be to God. Amen.